right. I just have to show you guys this. In case anybody has ever thought like I really have my act together, which I'm sure someone has. Um, I could not find a stapler or a paper clip like anywhere in my house. So my notes are being held together with a bobby pin. So that's like the level of professionalism I'm working with right now. So that's great. Um, all right, well, hey ladies, I am really excited to be talking to you about Psalm 32 today. This is one of my favorite psalms. Um, when I found out that I was going to be teaching on Psalm 32, I was really excited and I was telling my husband how happy I was. And he said, well, why did, you know, why, why did you choose Psalm 32? And I said, well, Psalm 119 was already taken. <laughs> That's a bad Psalm joke. I'm sorry. I had to throw in just a bad Psalm joke. Psalm 119 is very long. For those who don't know, it would take like a year to teach on that. So nobody would pick that. But in all seriousness, he did ask me why I chose this Psalm. And I said, well, because to me, the fact that we've been forgiven by God is just the best thing ever. And he said, well, duh. <laughs> but let me just explain why this is such a big deal to me. Uh, fun little fact about me. I am now and always have been terrified of getting in trouble, of receiving some kind of consequence from an authority figure. Um, I traveled halfway across the world when I was 19 by myself, didn't break a sweat. You want me to talk in front of a room full of people? No problem. But when my mom would give me like that, you're in trouble, look, I would start to tremble. So for whatever reason, this is just how I'm wired. Um, and I remember as a kid growing up, I remember thinking like the worst thing that could possibly happen to me would be to get sent to the principal's office. I just thought that was like really serious. You know, it's bigger than like you did something wrong and your teacher corrected you. It was like, if you went to the principal's office, you messed up. You know, it was a big deal. Maybe I've read Matilda too many times. I have like a choky image in my mind. But anyway, I managed to avoid this scenario for a pretty long time. But one day, when I was a sophomore in high school, it finally happened. I got called down to the principal's office. And the whole walk there, I was so terrified. And I was imagining what was this conversation going to be like. And let me tell you, it was so much worse than I could have even imagined. I walked into the principal's office. And my principal was standing in there in front of me. But he was not alone. Also sitting in the principal's office was my father, and not one, but two police officers. So, you can imagine how I would have been feeling at this time. Now, if you're waiting for like some juicy details about like this rebellious thing that I did, this story is actually not even really that interesting. Um, I didn't even technically do anything wrong. I was like a witness to some vandalism. My mom says I was guilty by association. Fair enough. But, <laughs> But my, my point in sharing this is not really about that story. My point in sharing this is just to kind of paint a picture for you of what to me is like one of the scariest things that could ever happen to me. This is like the trifecta of authority figures, right? Like your school principal, your dad, and local law enforcement, like just staring you in the face. So, um, so because of this aspect of my personality, you can imagine then how I feel when I do something to offend God, my ultimate authority figure. And so um, I'm often wracked with guilt when I sin. And that is why I love this psalm so much. Um, so I am excited to teach on this today, but I'm also very nervous because I want to do it justice. Um, I want to give God the glory that he deserves. And so I know Mallory already prayed, but I'm just going to pray again because I need God's help to teach this. So, um, Father, I thank you that you are just and merciful. I thank you that you have given us your word to teach us. And I pray today that 
the truth in this psalm would resonate deeply in our hearts, that we would know the forgiveness of Christ. And God, ultimately, I want your name to be glorified. So would you help me please to teach today? Amen. All right, let's go ahead and dig in. So keep your Bibles open if you don't already have them at Psalm 32. The title of our psalm is Blessed Are the Forgiven. Uh, Honestly, I couldn't really summarize this psalm any better if I tried. I really wanted to come up with some, like, clever way to put this in my own words. I I can't come up with anything better than that. Sometimes the Bible requires, like, this really deep analysis for us to, like, get at the meaning, and sometimes it means exactly what it says it means. This is our main idea today, ladies. We are forgiven, and we are blessed. Um, So let's discuss what exactly that means, though. Uh, The first two verses of the psalm say, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Notice that these verses do not say, blessed is the one who has no iniquity, blessed is the one who has no sin. So just in case we ever started to fool ourselves into thinking that our blessings come from doing good deeds or carrying out perfect obedience... That is not the case. We are blessed because God in his mercy has chosen to forgive us. But what does it really mean to be blessed? Um, I feel like this is a word that I hear a lot. It's a word that we use a lot in our modern culture. People will often talk about how they're blessed in terms of having a roof over their heads or having a healthy family. There's an episode of Parks and Rec where Tom Haverford says that he is hashtag blessed because he hits four green lights in a row on his way to work. <laughs> but I would dare to say that to David, this word holds a different meaning. It is certainly good for us to be thankful for what we have. But this word blessed is really bigger than all of that. Um, to be blessed means to enjoy God's special favor and grace. I'll just say that again. To be blessed means to enjoy God's special favor and grace. To enjoy God's special favor and grace is to be near to him. Our sin has separated us from God. So to have your sin forgiven and to be restored to the nearness of God is the greatest thing that can ever happen to us. And as if all that isn't good enough, let's just talk about the idea of our sins being covered. When I read this, I know what those words mean to me. I know what covers my sin. My sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. I know that the wage for sin is death and that it was Christ who died on my behalf. But David lived in a very different part of redemptive history than I do. So David did not yet have a full revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. David's hope was in a future promise of a Messiah to come. However, we can see many examples of sin coverings all throughout the Bible. As early as Genesis, we see God giving Adam and Eve garments of skin and clothing them in the garden after they sin. During the plagues in Egypt, the Israelites were instructed to cover the doorposts of their homes um, with the blood of a lamb, and the Spirit of the Lord would pass over the firstborns in these homes. In the Levitical sacrificial system, the Holy of Holies would be sprinkled in a blood covering. So all of these things are merely shadows pointing to the ultimate sin covering, which is Christ who provides forgiveness. But what this shows us is that God has always made a way to save sinners. We can see his goodness throughout all of time. 
honestly, I feel like I could just stop right there. Like, drop the mic. That's good enough. We could all just go home. Um, but there's more. There's more good stuff for us to see here. So let's continue on. So now, as we go down to verses three and four, we're, we're going to see is David sharing an experience that he had as a way of teaching us something. Um, he wants to help others that are in the same boat. And this is a very natural thing for people to want to do. If we see someone suffering and we know the solution, we know what needs to be done, we wanna share our wisdom to help them out. This is why people are always pushing essential oils on everyone. <laughs> I like essential oils, guys. I just, had to, I just had to throw that out there. Bobby, I love you. Um, we see that David was suffering from extreme shame caused by unrepentant sin. He says that when he kept silent, meaning unrepentant, his bones wasted away and his strength dried up. He is describing immobilizing guilt. Has anyone ever experienced this? I have felt this. I have felt the weight of shame, of sin in my life. This is that feeling of just knowing that you've done something wrong, said something wrong, thought something wrong, and that it's an offense to God. And the guilt that comes over you is crushing. Um, I would argue that most people know this feeling. Even those that don't call themselves believers have at some point felt shame over something that they've done. Um, now, as Ginger mentioned earlier, this is in one way a mercy, right? This drives us to repentance, and that is good. Um, so what we can see is that when sin creeps up in our lives, we have a few options. We have a few different things we can do. We can remain unrepentant and become consumed with shame and the consequences of our sin as David has described. Some may go another route. Some may say to themselves, I'm just gonna stop this behavior. I'm gonna clean myself up. I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna do better. Um, and maybe they're even successful in doing so, but they still never confess their sins to God. But of course, what David is about to show us is that when we sin, the best choice is to repent. In verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin to the Lord. God already knows everything we've done. Acknowledging means that we're showing him that we know what we've done. This is like when I say to my three-year-old, tell me why you're sorry. Okay, he's just kind of like, say, sorry, mom. No, tell me why you're sorry. Show me that you know you recognize what you've done. I acknowledged my sin to the Lord, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What I love is that these verses show how quick God is to forgive. David didn't say that he confessed, cleaned up his act, did not ten good deeds, and then God forgave him. It says that he confessed and God forgave. Um, and because of this, we should do the same. David's sharing his wisdom with us. Our point of application is right here, plain as day. Um, are we sorry I lost my spot in verses six and seven he says therefore let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found surely in the rush of great great waters they shall not reach him you are a hiding place for me you preserve me from trouble you surround me with shouts of deliverance what is our point of application what is our takeaway we should confess our sins freely to god we should confess our sins freely to God, and we should do it in a timely manner. 
when David says to offer a prayer to God when he may be found, he's not trying to indicate that God has special office hours and we need to make an appointment. We know when God can be found. When can he be found? Now, right now. Therefore, we should not delay in our confession. I'm going to continue talking about repentance. I need to just go off on a little tangent here, if you'll allow me. Just in case anyone is sitting here today thinking, all this forgiveness stuff sounds nice, but like I feel like when I hear people talking about sin, they're talking about anger or jealousy or covetousness, but I've like got some serious stuff going on in my life. Let's just review some of the things that we know about David. This is a man that slept with another man's wife and then had that man murdered to try to hide what he did. So I'm pretty sure that as far as sins go, adultery and murder are pretty serious. Pretty serious offenses to God. Now, I want to make it clear, what I'm not saying is that we have license to do what we want and then we should just repent to try to cover it up. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. But what I do want to say is, if you are sitting here today as a believer in Jesus Christ and have repented of past sins, then you have no reason to carry on living in the burdensome shame that David is describing. I'm talking about that feeling when you kind of snuggle into bed at night and you hear that little voice in your head saying, hey, you know what would be fun? Let's think about like every bad thing you've ever done. <laughs> if we truly believe that Christ's work is sufficient for our salvation, that means that no sin is too big for Jesus. This is exactly what Jan said. No sin cannot be covered by the blood of Jesus. So when the enemy tries to tempt you to despair and steal your joy, rest in that truth. Okay, jumping back in. So repentance is a two-part process. It involves confessing our sins to God, but it also involves a turning from our sin. Again, to use a parenting analogy, I'll say to Abraham, saying I'm sorry means I'm going to try not to do that anymore. A penitent heart longs to change. Now, I don't want to stand here and act like this is an easy thing to do. Confessing our sins may seem simple enough, but to carry on in obedience is much harder. And while we know that this is a difficult thing to do, we can see that God responds to David's confession with a promise. In verses 8 and 9, there's a switch in who is speaking. This is uh, no longer David speaking, but God is communicating directly. He says... I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God knows our weaknesses, but he has not left us to our own devices. In his wisdom and mercy, he has given us resources to guide us. God has given us his word, and he has given us his spirit. He has not left us alone in our fight to kill sin and strive for righteousness. Even the gift of his law is grace and is for our own good. So when God does give us instruction and counsel, it is not a way of holding us back, but rather a way of keeping us safe. He continues in verse 9 and says, Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Here we see this warning telling us that we ought to stay near to the one we serve, Let's consider the placement of this verse. When did this admonition come? After forgiveness. God always gives grace first, law second. When did God give Moses the Ten Commandments? 
after he had saved his people from slavery in Egypt. God has demonstrated his love and care for us. And because he has already rescued us, it is fitting for us to tell, it is fitting for him to tell us to stay close. Um, Pastor Jonathan talked about this a little bit this morning. He talked about wanting our gospel belief to translate into gospel behavior. And he said, if we want our gospel belief to translate into gospel behavior, then we're not meant to walk without him. We need to be walking with him day by day. Again, the order of events here is so important. He is not saying, prove your devotion to me and then I will forgive you. He has already rescued us. So unlike an animal that would need to be harnessed to stay near to its master, we obey willingly out of a gratitude for what God has done for us. So as we come to the end of our psalm, we're met with more beautiful truth. Verses 10 and 11 say, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This verse 10 says, Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And how could we not trust the Lord? Notice that this is capital L-O-R-D. Pastor Jonathan told us last week that when we see the word Lord written this way, it means Yahweh, the God of covenant. We worship a God who throughout all of time has made and kept covenants. He has never dropped the ball. He has always held up his side of the deal. This is the God who appeared to Abraham in a dream and walked through the path of dismembered animals as a way of saying, may what has been done to these animals be done to me if I do not keep this covenant. His promises are good and he always follows through. We have, he has given us every reason to trust him. So in light of all this, how can we not do as the psalmist says and rejoice, shout for joy, be glad. When we think on these truths, it is good and right for us to respond in worship. There may be plenty of things happening in your life that cause you not to feel joy. When we feel that joy slipping away, we should glance back over everything we've read. God forgives us. He preserves us. He gives us counsel. His love is steadfast. Our blessings are not dependent on our works. The sin that has separated us from God has been washed away, and our relationship with the Father has been restored. A day of judgment is going to come for me, for all of us. A day when I will be called to God's office, so to speak. But I do not have to feel the fear that I felt that day in high school. Because I know that even though God has every right to pull out a record of everything I've ever done wrong. Even though I deserve the fullness of God's wrath. I have confidence that because of what Christ has done on my behalf, rather than receiving his wrath, I will receive his blessing. Let's pray. God, these truths are good. And we thank you Thank you that you are merciful. 
Thank you that you know our weaknesses. Thank you that you have had a plan to save sinners throughout all of time. Your character never changes. You are always good. God, may those truths just resonate so deeply with us. May we respond to you in worship and in thanksgiving. Amen. Uh, Before we finish, I do just want to leave you ladies um, with something to listen to throughout the week. Um, If you've ever talked to my husband for more than five minutes, you've probably heard him talking about singing the psalms. Um, And I have to admit, I'm starting to really share his enthusiasm for singing psalms after all these are songs. Um, I found a musical version of Psalm 32 that I've been listening to over the last few weeks, and we're going to play it for you here in a minute. Um, This has not only helped me commit this psalm to memory, but I also just found that the words were escaping from my mouth at times that I didn't really feel prone to worship. Um, When I'm washing dishes or disciplining my kids or running errands, I'm not often meditating on God's grace. But then I would hear this song playing in my head, and I would start to sing along. Um, And honestly, having anything other than baby sharks stuck in my head is a good thing. Uh, When we allow ourselves to speak or sing truth, even when we may not really be feeling it, it can alter the posture of our hearts. Um, I love this quote from David Pawson when he's speaking about the Psalms. He says, those who argue that we should only sing what we feel forget that there is value in voicing responses that we may not feel as an encouragement to respond genuinely and also to remember the truth for the future.